had to ask Pastor what the scripture was because I wrote it down at home and uh, forgot it. So um, if you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 8, I did have 8, 27 through 30, I just had the wrong book, so that would have really been confusing. Do you suppose Pastor would have changed his message then? <laughs> Uh, 27 through 30. Uh, and Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages in Caesarea Philippi. And on the way he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ, and he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us together this morning, and uh, just open our hearts as Pastor shares with us just exactly who Christ is. Lord, uh, teach us from your wonderful word today, and uh, let us leave here um, full of your spirit, and uh, live in a way that uh, that shows just exactly who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just throw it there. Well, good morning once again. And this morning we are considering who is Jesus. That's the thought that's before us that I want to dwell on and think upon. And I'll begin by just asking, have, have you ever been mistaken for someone else? Uh, that happened to me a few years ago uh, when I was at a conference. I was actually at a conference with my dad in Grand Rapids. And this other person thought for sure that I was someone else. And there was nothing I could say to that person to convince them that I was not that person. And they kept saying something like, oh, so-and-so, you're always such a jokester and such a prankster, and come on, just admit it, it's really you. And I'm like, seriously? <laughs> this isn't me. And, and my dad was also trying to convince them, and I, I don't know if we ever got through to that person, but I was not who they thought that I was. It was awkward. It was awkward. Uh, it was, it was awkward. Or have you ever completely uh, missed who someone is until it's too late? Uh, just this week, I, I read about uh, something of a well-known evangelist named Rico Tice, uh, and he was at a restaurant waiting to be seated. And while he was sitting there, there was another guy in front of him who looked vaguely familiar, uh, but he didn't seem to really know him. He couldn't remember having ever met him. But again, just something about him looked familiar, and it seemed like he should know him. But anyways, he, he couldn't identify him, so he didn't say anything. And uh, eventually one of them has to go or get seated or something. But later to find out that uh, the young man sitting in front of him was Prince William, uh, the, the, at that point, the future king of England. Uh, so I share those things to say because if we get someone's identity wrong, 
we will relate to them wrongly, right? If, if you get someone's identity wrong, you will relate to them wrongly. Uh, if I mistake someone for robbing a store, I'm going to relate to them wrongly. If, if, I, if I mistake another woman as my wife, which I almost did at Walmart yesterday, uh, I would relate to that person wrongly. Identity matters. Uh, if, we, if we get someone's identity wrong, we relate to them wrongly. And that, that's the same is true of the Lord Jesus Christ and why we're asking that question, that crucial question, who is Jesus? If you get his identity wrong, you will relate to him wrongly. And there are present and eternal consequences. One, one author says this, the battle for human souls pivots on the issue of Christ's identity. He's the watershed, the dividing line between hell and heaven. Who do you believe in your mind and deep in your heart that Jesus really is? Every person must give an answer. And whether our answer is right could not be more consequential or eternally significant. End quote. That's very true. So that question, who is Jesus? Was he simply a, a good man who wore sandals and walked the streets of Palestine and had some, some nice things to say? Was he a prophet, like, like the text that Andy read for us this morning? Was he a prophet, or was he a teacher, or was he some crazy guy, or, or was he something more? And, and maybe you grew up uh, in church, but never really understood why Jesus was all that important. Or, or maybe you've, you've known someone who's just all into Jesus, and you wonder why. You can't understand why. And so you find yourself asking, who is Jesus? And that, again, that, that's a great question. And I'm going to do the best that I can this morning with the Lord's help to try and answer that question. And we're going to answer that question by considering the claims of Christ. What did he actually say? And we're going to consider also the actions of Christ, uh, we're going to think about his resurrection. And then at the end, I'm just going to ask you to think about who do you say that he is, your, your response to having heard his, his words and seen his actions and thought about the resurrection. So point number one this morning, the claims of Jesus. Over the years, and maybe you've encountered this too, but over the years I've met with individuals, I've spoken with individuals, and it seems like everyone has an opinion about Jesus. Everyone has a thought about him, and they've come to that thought or that conclusion about Jesus from many, many different ways. Maybe something they read uh, out of a, a magazine or online. Maybe it's a conversation they had with someone. Maybe, maybe it's a book that they read. Uh, but it seems like everyone has a thought or an opinion about the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I've also encountered in those conversations is that often they've never actually read what the Scriptures say. And their conclusions about Jesus have been drawn based on, again, hearsay or study of what other people say, but never going straight to the source. And so this morning, we're just going to open with, what did Jesus actually say? I think we, we owe it to ourselves to, to look at the claims that Christ made. And I've selected six of them uh, to look at this morning very quickly, very briefly. And there's many more we could look at. And if you have your bulletin, inside the bulletin is the outline. Those six, six claims of Christ are there. But the very first claim we're going to consider this morning is that Jesus said he is the bread of life. 
So on one occasion, Jesus is addressing a very large crowd, and he says in John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus claims, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Again, that was John chapter 6, verse 35. So bread is a staple food, and the upshot of Jesus saying, I'm the bread of life, is Jesus saying, I am essential for life. Jesus is saying he alone is essential for life and that he alone can give satisfaction in this life. I've heard it said, and I'm sure that you have also, that more people die of loneliness and guilt and insecurity, depression, than actual physical starvation. And so I just wonder this morning, I would ask you this morning, are you hungry and thirsty for satisfaction? Uh, have you found meaning and purpose? Do you crave acceptance? Do you crave security? And Jesus is saying that that inborn hunger, that craving, that yearning, that desire is actually a craving, it's a yearning, it's a desire for him because he is the bread of life. Whatever needs that we have, emotional, spiritual, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I'm the only one who can satisfy those needs. That's claim number one the greatest need of your heart, that longing that's in your heart is Jesus Christ. The second claim I want to consider is where Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 12, that he is the light of the world. So in John 8, verse 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Again, that, that's, that's quite the statement. Uh, Jesus, Jesus is not claiming to be just one more source of enlightenment. He is claiming to be the source, the only source. I am the light of the world. And he isn't simply claiming to, to bring new light on old problems, but again, he says, I am the light of the world, and in me is found the light of life. So Jesus is claiming alone to be able to give you wisdom and life direction. He is claiming uh, to be able to give you the meaning of life. And again, so many are, are, are stumbling in this world like blind people. We're often going through life searching for something, even though we have lots of stuff uh, we have flat screens and cars and uh, tablets and smartphones and uh, all, all sorts of, of wonderful things, but they don't give peace. They don't give very much wisdom. And so Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. I am that wisdom. I am that direction. I am that purpose. I am that meaning. I am all of those things. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night? It is dark and you get up, maybe a kid calls, or the bathroom calls, or whatever it is, you get up in the middle of the night and it's dark, and instead of deciding to turn that light on, uh, you decide to kind of stumble around and maybe trip and fall and, and step on something and hurt yourself. Uh, certainly I've done that. 
Uh, for me, it's usually a pillow that I end up throwing on the ground because there's too many pillows on our bed. And then I get up and I trip on it. Uh, but I think many are like that in life. We're trying to live life without Jesus, and it's stumbling and groping around in the dark. Trying to live life without Jesus is like trying to live life in, in a dark room where you can't see anything at all. And Jesus says, he is the light of the world. Apart from Jesus, you are in the dark, and you'll never truly understand what life is about apart from him. Well, the third claim that he says is he is the giver of life. Actually, Jesus made that statement on, on a number of occasions, but one of the more well-known ones is where he meets with a woman at the well in Samaria, and he says to her in John chapter 4, verses 13 and 14, that everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst Indeed, Jesus says, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So there Jesus makes the claim that he gives eternal life, that eternal life is found in him, that you can't have eternal life apart from him. You, you can't have eternal life by trying to do good things or, or by trying to be a good person. You, you can have eternal life if you believe in and personally trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus says in John chapter 17, verse 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So this is eternal life, to know God. And how do you know God? It's through the Son, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 10.10 that the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. So when the Bible speaks about eternal life, it's not just speaking about how long, quantity, but it's also speaking about quality. And Jesus says, not only by faith in him is there this eternal life that you'll live forever with him and his Father in glory and with all those who have trusted in him, but it's also abundant life. It's life for the here and the now that will change your life forever in the here and the now. He's saying, if, if you want life, if you want to know life the way it was meant to be, then come to me, and I will give you abundant joy and abundant peace and abundant hope. I will give you a new life with a new heart and new desires and a new mind. That's an astounding claim. But here's an even bigger one. The next claim that Jesus made as, as he walked this earth was that he can forgive sins. There was this occasion where Jesus was, was teaching within a building and there was such a large crowd around him that getting to him was near impossible. Uh, but there was this group of four friends who had a fifth friend who was paralyzed. If you remember this account, if you've heard it before. And they want to get to Jesus. They want to get their friend to Jesus so he can help him, cure him, heal him. Uh, but there's just no way to get through. The crowds are that thick. Uh, so they decide to climb onto the roof of the house and they had stairs back then that would go to the roof of the house and they removed the tiles and part of the roof and the ceiling, and they dropped their friend in. And Jesus looks at that paralyzed man and, and says to him in Mark chapter 2, verse 5, Son, your sins are forgiven. 
So Jesus claims, his claim is that he can forgive sins, that he can wipe or wash or cleanse our guilty conscience, uh, that he can remove the shame of sin. And this is why he said in John chapter 14, verse 6, that I am the way and the truth and the life, and that no one can come to the Father except through me, because he alone as the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, is able to wash away our sins. In Him is found forgiveness. There is no forgiveness outside of Him. There is no salvation apart from Jesus. So maybe this morning you are uh, riddled with guilt. Maybe you had a hard time sleeping last night because of the shame of something or the guilt of something. And by faith in Jesus Christ, you can say, I don't need to make excuses for my sin anymore. I don't need to blame shift my sin, you know, blame others or blame the situation. I can be forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ. He claims to forgive sin. I trust him. I believe him. I take my sins to him, ask him to forgive them, and he forgives them. He can wash and cleanse away all your guilt and sin. Well, he also claimed to be the judge of the world. I'm not going to quote the verse, but in a large section in Matthew 25, 31 through 46, Jesus teaches his truth about him. In Matthew 5, 31, 25, 31 through 46, Jesus says that he alone one day will judge all of humanity, all who have ever lived and all who ever will Live And his claim is that he will separate people into two groups, just like a shepherd would separate the goat and the sheep, that there is a day coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will judge the world and he will separate the world into two groups, those who have trusted in him and those who have rejected him. That's the claim that he makes in Matthew 25, 31 through 46. And he says in Matthew 25, 34, that those who trust in him, he will say to them, come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So those who put their faith and trust in him, he says, come, you are blessed by the Father. But those who reject him, he will say to them in Matthew 25, verse 41, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, there's no middle ground. There's no third way. It's either Christ's way or your way. And Jesus is saying, his claim is, it's very clear, by the end of the world, he will judge all of humanity, and you're either for him or you're not. Uh, there's the old saying, you can't be just a little bit pregnant, right? You either are pregnant or you're not. It's the same with your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You either have a relationship with him or you don't. There's no little bit of that or part way with that. There's no $5 of the gospel. It's all or nothing. It's Jesus or nothing. Well, the last claim that he mentions, there's more that we could say, but the last claim I want to draw your attention to is where he claims to be God. He claims to be God. 
And he makes this claim on several occasions, but in the particular one I'm thinking about, he's in a debate or argument, you could say, with some of the local religious leaders, uh, the Jewish leaders, and they are saying that they are the children of Abraham. And Jesus is saying, well, if you're the children of Abraham, then you should recognize me. You should know who I am because your father Abraham rejoiced in me. He saw my day and was glad. And, and so the, the Jewish leaders respond to that and say, well, you're not even 50 years old, and you say you've seen Abraham? And Jesus says in John 8, 58, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was born, I am. Now that's significant. He's quoting Exodus chapter 3, verse 14. And back in Exodus chapter 3, if you remember, the Israeli people were in bondage. They were in captivity in Egypt. They had been for nearly 400 years. It's a long time. And they suffered tremendously. But the Lord heard their cries. And God had made a promise. He would rescue and redeem them. And so in God's perfect timing, he raises up Moses. But Moses is a pretty insecure guy. Lots of fears. And so he wants to argue with God a little bit when he sees the burning bush and the Lord speaks to him and says, but who am I? I can't even talk. I can't do this. I can't do this. And who, what am I going to say when they say, who are you? What am I going to say to them? And what the scriptures say is God says to him through the, through the burning bush, say to them, I am who I am. This is what you are, say, you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And so connect that back to John 8, where Jesus said to the Jewish leaders of the day that, I am. Before Abraham was born, I am. What is Jesus saying? He's saying he was the one speaking out of that bush, that he is God. Without beginning and without end, he's eternal. He is God in the flesh. He's making that claim. And he makes that claim on several occasions. So Jesus does not claim to be a nice guy. He doesn't claim to be an angel or a prophet. Uh, he claims to be God. He doesn't claim to be semi-God or kind of God or a step on the way to God or one God among many other gods. No, he says, I am, I am God. So if you want to know God, you must know the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the claim he is making. So we're asking that question or thinking about that thought. If we get someone's identity wrong, you relate to him wrongly. And Jesus says, my identity is that I am the bread of life and I am the light of the world and I'm the one who gives eternal life and I'm the one who forgives sins and I am the one who will judge the world in righteousness and I am God. Those are the claims that he makes. Those are pretty outrageous if I was to say those things to you, <laughs> or some guy was to knock on your door and say those things about himself, I think you'd want to send us to the loony bin, right? Those are outrageous claims. And you need to recognize, as outrageous as Jesus' claims might be, they are all directed for our spiritual warfare, our welfare, warfare too. Uh, but former boxer Muhammad Ali would constantly say about himself, what? I am the greatest. I am the greatest. He would say that about himself all the time, but when he would claim that, he wasn't claiming to be able to do anything for me, right? That's all about him and his greatness and his glory and his splendor. If anything, when he said, I am the greatest, I felt inferior to that. 
But the Lord Jesus Christ is very different. He's saying, I'm the greatest, and look what I can do for you. He's saying, I am the bread of life. In me, you can have satisfaction. He's saying, I am the light of the world. You don't need to be in the dark. He's saying, I'm the giver of eternal life. You can live forever with me and my Father. He's saying, I'm the forgiver of sins. You can have your guilty conscience cleansed. Uh, He says he is the judge of all the world, and in Christ he has taken that judgment. You don't need to fear the judgment day. And he says, I am God. His greatness is for us, for our spiritual welfare, if you will trust and believe in him. He's not using his greatness just to boast about how great he is. He uses his greatness for our spiritual good. So those are his claims. But don't just take him by what he says. You really get to know someone also by what they say, right? The things that they actually do and say. So don't just take his word for it. Look at what he does. See him in action. If you really want to know him, watch what he does. Read what he does through the scriptures. And as, as you would read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, you would see about Jesus that he's very generous. He's very kind is very patient. Uh, he's people-oriented. He's also very unconcerned about himself. That, that's honestly what always jumps out of me as I read the Gospels is Jesus was on a mission, but not so much so that people interrupted him. People were the mission. And so he was always quite unconcerned about himself and willing to go way out of his way to love and serve and help others. And so there's the occasion of a man with leprosy, who came to Jesus and said to him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, watch what it says in Mark 1, 40-41, Jesus reached out his hand, touched him. Now, what are you never supposed to do with someone who has leprosy? Touch them, right? I think we can relate to this with the past year. And how did you relate to people who maybe you thought had COVID? Did you want them touching you? Did you touch them? Here's Jesus encountering a man with leprosy. Cries out to him, Jesus, if you're willing, will you you heal me? And Jesus didn't stand six feet away and say, yeah, you're healed, get away from me. He touched him and said, I am willing, you are healed. That's pretty generous. That's pretty kind. Once While traveling through a town called Nain, he encountered a woman whose only son had died. And we read in Luke chapter 7 that Jesus saw this woman and had compassion. Now, word compassion, you you find that a lot in the Gospels, not so much in Luke, but you do find it a lot in the Gospels. That word compassion means gut-wrenching. In fact, the only way I could really think to try and explain it is, have you ever been uh, punched in the stomach? Or had something hit your stomach that hurts, right? Uh, I can remember once playing basketball and someone swung and nailed me right in the stomach. I mean, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't do much for probably what felt like eternity, probably a good 10, 15 seconds. But, but that's, that's the idea there, right? That Jesus saw this woman and the bereavement, the loss of her only son, and he has compassion, this gut-wrenching stomach wrenching pain and compassion for her. So he walks up to her and says, do not weep, and raises her son from the dead. That's Jesus, full of compassion, generous, kind, loving, 
Uh, there are lots of examples of that, but he didn't just do those things. He also did a lot of extraordinary things. He, he turned water into wine. He walked on water. He gave sight to the blind. He caused the lame to walk again. He gave hearing to the deaf. Like we talked about, he cleansed the lepers. He brought the dead back to life. And there's that one occasion where he feeds 5,000 with just a little bit of food. And the Gospel of John ends by saying he did a lot more things than these. John 21, 25 says, there are also many things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written. I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. So Jesus didn't just claim outrageous things, he did outrageous things. And he did outrageous things to prove, to validate, to attest to, he is who he says he is. That he's not just talking out of thin air or, or, or whatever, but he is who he says he is. And these, these nature-defying laws of science eluding miracles that Jesus would perform, they were seen and experienced by thousands of people. Uh, the Apostle Peter in Acts chapter 2, verse 22, says to his Israelites, he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you, as you yourselves know. So in other words, Jesus' miracles weren't done in a corner. They were seen and attested to by thousands. And so Jesus, or Peter is saying to the crowd that Jesus has been shown to be more than a man by the miracles that he did. They demonstrated that he said he was who he said he was. He was God. He is God. And as you read the Gospels, you'll see that as others saw his, his supernatural activities, they would agree with his claim that he was God. And so when Jesus calmed the raging storm, his disciples said to him, truly, you are the Son of God. Uh, when Jesus died upon the cross, a Roman centurion who's a battle-hardened soldier, he uttered these words, truly this was the Son of God. And of course, when Jesus would cast out demons, often the demons would say, what have you to do with us, O Son of God? And so we see his claims, we've heard his claims, we see his actions, and that leads us to his greatest action, the resurrection. The greatest evidence that Jesus is different from everyone else is that though he was physically killed on the cross, he physically rose from the dead. Now you might be thinking when you hear that, that's crazy talk. That's just a legend, that's a myth, because no one can be raised from the dead, and I would agree with you unless the person was who he says he is, the Son of God. Another question that might come to your mind, though, is to say, why did Jesus die on the cross? Why such a brutal death? You just said, Pastor Andrew, he was so tender and compassionate and generous and self-sacrificial. He walked around healing people and pointing people to the true meaning of life. Why did they put him to death by nailing him on the cross? Right? Why do that if, you, if he's such an amazing guy, so, such a great guy? And the simple answer to that, I mean, we, we can come at that from a few different ways, but, but the simple answer to that is, quite frankly, it's we don't like being told what to do. Quite frankly, that's why they killed him. We want to live lives our own way. We want independence. And we want all the things that Jesus has to offer us, right? We want that bread. We want that light. We want that forgiveness. We, we want that eternal life. Uh, we, we want those things, but not Jesus, right? 
We want all those things that God will give us, but, but not God. And so what we did was we tried to get rid of Jesus, and that's what the Bible calls sin. Sin is living your life your way apart from God. That's sin. Sin is why the world is as bad as it is. Sin is why uh, something is terribly wrong in our world. Sin is why there's strife in our marriages. It's why raising a family is difficult. It's why there's war in the world. It's why our nation is divided. It's, It's the why. It's the root cause to all troubles. It wasn't always this way. The scripture teach in the beginning the world was actually quite lovely. Believe it or not, it's hard to believe sometimes. But the world began perfect. God made all that he had made and he looked over and he saw and he said it was good. It was perfect. It's exactly how we wanted it to be. Our first parents, Adam and Eve, the scriptures say in Genesis chapter 2, were naked and not ashamed, which, which means that they were completely honest with each other that they were completely transparent with one another. Uh, Open communication, a perfect relationship. We're also told that they walked with God. They were in friendship with God and lived harmoniously under his authority. It's a beautiful picture. It's how the world is meant to be. So God created the world. God created people. He gave us this wonderful world in which to live. He, he set humanity and authority over the world and basically said to Adam and Eve, do whatever you want to do. There's just one thing you can't do. You see that tree, one of those trees in the middle of the garden has some fruit. You're never to eat that fruit. If you do, you will die. That's it. They could do anything else they wanted. But that tree, they were not to eat from it or they would die. That was the authority that God had given them. Freedom to rule and to reign, have dominion over the, the earth and the creatures and all that are in it. But that tree... Stay away from it, don't eat it, you'll die. Well, that's God telling them what to do. And so what did Adam and Eve do? They ate from that tree. Again, that's sin. Sin is trying to live life how I want to live my life. We don't like being told what to do. We want to live life our way, especially as Americans, right? And a number of commercial slogans have caught on to that very well. And so this, because of sin, this lovely world fell apart. Now people are being threatened and are threatened all over the place. We're threatened by our environment. Marriages are under strain. Work is hard, often a drudgery. There's decay and death all around us. And worst of all, we are separated from God, who is life. There's a shirt that I like to wear. I thought about wearing it this morning, but it says on the front, front of it very clearly, it always gets good conversations going, is sin is the leading cause of death. And that's very true. Sin is the leading cause of death. Sin is the leading cause of why this world is so messed up. But thankfully, sin is not the end of the story. That God didn't just leave it that way. He, in love, sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to rescue us from our sin. And that's amazing love. We've turned away from God, trying to live life our way. We've basically, I don't know how to say it other than to say we've we've rejected him, maybe uh, are running away from him, trying to live our lives as, as kings and queens, open rebellion against him. But despite all that, God in his love and mercy and grace came to restore us. But, of course, God is holy God can't just take our sins and and put them under the carpet and pretend like they never happened. No, he's holy, he's just. He can't just let us off the hook. So God does the most remarkable thing ever. He spares us the punishment that I deserve and you deserve, death, 
by taking the punishment himself. That's the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the gospel. That's who Jesus is. He's your sin bearer. He took God's wrath and God's punishment for our sin willingly that by faith in him we might be redeemed and forgiven, cleansed. Maybe you've heard this before, but if you just think about the picture of a courtroom, the judge is on his bench, the verdict has been passed, you are guilty. You've rebelled against God. There's none of this Judge Judy nonsense where afterward you get to go and talk to whatever his name is on the microphone and tell him how wrong he is, how wrong the judge was, whatever. There's none of that. God has spoken. You got nothing to say. Your mouth is silent. His, his verdict is perfect. And that's justice. You are guilty. You're receiving what you deserve for your sins against God. You're helpless. You're hopeless in and of yourself. But, but then imagine that the judge does this outrageous thing. The, the judge steps down from behind the bench and he stands next to you and he looks at you and he says this to you, that while you deserve this punishment, you are guilty. But because I love you, you can go free because I'm going to take that punishment myself. I'm going to serve your sentence for you. And so maybe for a jaw-dropping moment, you just kind of stand there in silence, not even knowing what to say to that, right? What would you say to that? And then maybe relief begins to flood over your heart and your soul, and maybe you start to feel your heart pound as the prison guards cuff the judge instead of you and lead him off to serve your sentence. Now you're free to live the rest of your life you are acquitted and declared not guilty. And that's just a small picture of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He died for our sin. He took the punishment you and I deserve so that we could be forgiven. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, validating or testing that he was who he said he was, the Son of God. Sin and death are our greatest enemies, but Jesus defeated sin and triumphed over death in his death and burial and resurrection. So what does that mean? It says what I keep saying. It means Jesus is who he says he is. It means this is why Christianity is unique. People will sometimes ask that question, right? What makes Christianity so different than, than the rest of all the other religions? Aren't they all just the same? Aren't we just all going up a mountain a different way? And in the end, we all lead to the top and there's God, right? Isn't that what people often say? Well, what makes Christianity so different? This is what makes Christianity so different. We're the only ones out there saying that our Lord, our Savior, he died for us and then he rose from the dead and he's living and reigning right now and he's coming back and he's going to judge us. There's no one else out there saying that. Buddhists have never claimed that Buddha rose from the dead. Muhammad, we know, died at the age of 61 and they've never made a claim that he rose from the dead. Jesus said, I'm going to die and I'm going to die for your sins and watch it. I'm going to raise from the dead three days later. No one else has ever done that. That's what makes Christianity unique. That's why it's not by works, but by faith. It also means, again, that Jesus can give you eternal life and he can forgive you your sins. If Jesus is God who rose from the dead, then he can do all those things he said he can do. You don't have to earn that forgiveness again as a gift. And so who do you say that Jesus is? We've considered just that small sampling of Jesus' claims. We've considered a few things that he did. We've considered the resurrection. But that brings us to a critically important question. Who do you say that Jesus is? 
That's the question of the hour. Who do you say that Jesus is? And that question can't be ignored. Jesus demands a response. If you misidentify him, you will relate to him wrongly. And so Jesus claimed to be the bread of life, the ultimate satisfaction. He claimed to be the light of the world, the, the director of life, the eternal life giver, the forgiver of sins, the judge of all the world. He claimed to be Lord and God. In light of claims like that, you can't just say about him, man, what a neat guy he was. As has been well said by many in the past, now Jesus is either a lunatic, a liar, or Lord. Those, those are the options. So what do, you, what do you say this morning? Was, was Jesus a, a crazy schizophrenic who really thought he was God? Or, or was he a con man, a deceiver who pretended to be God and, and led a whole bunch of people astray? Or was he really actually truly God? You know, lunatic, liar, or Lord? What's your response? Where do you stand? What do you think? And maybe your response this morning is just outright rejection. I want nothing to do with him. And I hope no one here this morning would say that. But if that is your response, we understand that. We want you to understand that that doesn't change the truth. And the Lord Jesus Christ is judge. And he's returning one day. Maybe your response is to say, you know, I'm, I, I'm not really sure about everything I just heard. I'm not sure about his claims. I'm not sure about the things that he did and if he rose from the dead. And again, that's Okay. We rejoice that you're here this morning, and I would just ask you to, before you render a final verdict, to pick up God's Word and read it. Read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John, read what Jesus actually said and did before you render that verdict. It would be tragic to miss the truth by failing to go straight to the primary source. I also would just encourage you, there's, there's this book for any of, our, any of our guests this morning, or if you know someone you'd like to give this to, it's called Who is Jesus by Greg Gilbert. Uh, and it's, it's out there on the table by the offering. It's also out there at the Welcome Center. Grab one of those. Those, those are free for the taking. Uh, just uh, read it and think about it. Pray about what it says and just check, check things out for yourself. Or maybe you're along another lines. Maybe you would say this morning that you don't think you need Jesus. You, you don't think you're that bad. You're basically a good person, and I, I, I think I'm doing okay without him. I encounter that one a lot. And you think maybe that God is happy with you because, you know, I, I'm, I'm doing my best. I'm doing my best. And I would just say to you what has often been said by others in the past, that it's not people's sins that usually send them to hell. It's a provocative statement, but, but here's the next part to it. What usually uh, keeps people from coming to Christ is their good works. And that's a painful statement, but it's true. That often what keeps people from coming to Christ is their good works. And what you need to do with those good works is flush them down the toilet. <laughs> Get rid of them, repent of them, turn from them. Because they don't mean a lick of beans. Because all of your good works are like a filthy rag to God who is righteous and holy and perfect. So you need to repent of your good works and believe in Jesus Christ who did the work for you on your behalf. It's only through Jesus. So you need Jesus. Listen, you're more sinful than you think you are. It's true of me, too. We're all more sinful than we think we are. But Jesus is a greater Savior. No matter how great that sin or awful or wicked that sin, Jesus is a greater Savior. He can cleanse you and forgive you of all your unrighteousness. And by faith in him, you can be declared righteous. 
Or maybe your response this morning is, you believe that Jesus is who he said he was. You've, you've heard his claims this morning. Uh, you've, you've thought about his actions and his resurrection, and you were never quite sure, but as, as you've heard the message, you've, you've thought about it, and you, you're saying in your heart of hearts, I, I get it, I see it. Jesus, Jesus is God, and Jesus is the only way, and he's our forgiveness, and he rose from the dead, and, and you're beginning to see, and what should your response be? Your, your response is the same. You need to repent. Repent of living life your way, that's sin, and start living life his way. You need to cry out to God in faith and salvation, asking for his forgiveness for your sins. Ask him to cleanse you of all unrighteousness and ask him to strengthen you to live the life he's, he's called you to live. Oh, I was 17 when that happened for me. I, raised up, I was raised in a, in a pastor's home, typical pastor's kid. I was trouble. Uh, I think I've shared with you before, I used to read the Bible, not because I believed it, because I just liked to argue with my dad and, and, and try and show him how foolish the Bible is. Why would anyone believe that stuff? And so one morning I was reading the scriptures and God did what I just encouraged you to do, to, to look at God's word and see what it actually says. I didn't do it in a genuine heart. I did it out of being a jerk. But I hope you'll do that differently. Uh, but, but the Lord, his word is good and his word opened my eyes. He gave me light. It helped me to see that I was the fool. I had been deceived. And I cried out to God for salvation. Jesus will do the same for you. And if that's you this morning, uh, if you believe you've come to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, we rejoice with you and we ask you, would you, would you let me or someone here know so we can talk with you and encourage you in your newfound relationship with Jesus? But maybe you're here this morning and you're already trusting in Jesus. <clears throat> Jesus is your bread. He's your ultimate soul satisfaction. Jesus is your light. He's, he's given you eternal life. He's taken your judgment, uh, and, and there's no condemnation anymore in him. Jesus is God and Lord of your life. Then give him all the praise. Amen, Christians? Give him all the praise. There is nothing and no one better than the Lord Jesus Christ. Offer your life up to him, to Jesus, as a living sacrifice. Jesus is worthy of total abandonment. And Jesus is worthy of supreme adoration. Jesus is worthy of more than church attendance and being nice and nominal Christianity. Jesus is, again, worthy of total abandonment and supreme adoration. Jesus is worthy of more than our second best, or our third best, or fourth best, or, or giving him our leftovers. Jesus is worthy of my all, of my everything, of my whole being, my whole heart and soul and love and all that makes me me. All praise, all energy, every fabric of my being is about Christ. It must be about Christ making him the, the supreme object of your desires and your actions and your motivations. Jesus is infinitely valuable and infinitely qualified and infinitely deserving. So as Christians, give him your all. Don't hold anything back. Live for Jesus. Uh, make him your whole life's uh, commitments. Uh, tell everyone you can about him. Boast about him. Brag about him. Make much about him. Read his word every day. Be in prayer much. Cry out for his spirit daily to fill you and strengthen you to live the life he calls you to live. Spend your days worshiping him and serving him and glorifying him and, and, and be committed to a local healthy church, a, a Bible-centered, Bible-preaching, Jesus-loving local church. 
where you'll find encouragement and strength to walk that walk, because we all need that, especially me. So if you're here and you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your response to who is Jesus, because if you relate to him wrongly, or, or if you identify him wrongly, you're going to re- relate to him wrong, wrongly. If you're identifying him correctly, the response should just be total abandonment for Christ, a life on fire for Christ. You have one life to live, one life. Live it for Christ. Spend it for Jesus. Seems we're often consumed by my problems. I'm stressed out about my life or my family or my job or this or this or this. It seems like we're consumed with our lives. No, we need to be consumed with Jesus, consumed for his glory. I'll tell you my ambition as a follower of Christ and as a pastor of this church, and I'm borrowing this from a guy years ago, my ambition is is to preach the gospel Die and be forgotten. Preach the gospel, die, be forgotten. That's the meaning of life. Making much of him. The point of your life is the point to him. So whatever you're doing, make much of Jesus. Nothing matters except Jesus. Nothing you do in this life will matter except Jesus. I I don't care if you become the president of the United States, if you make billions of dollars that makes the richest man in the world look like a poor guy. It doesn't matter if you don't have Jesus and if it's not done for Jesus. Nothing in life matters unless it's about making much of Jesus. So who is Jesus? That's the most important question in your life. You can't ignore him. There's no more important question. Who is he? What do you say? 